It's Wednesday on Weagle, and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan, your go-to for all things college football. So get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores, news, and predictions. So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. What's up, y'all, and welcome back to yet another episode of Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. My name is Christian Griffin, and alongside me is, as usual, the heart and soul of the Plainsman, Mr. Donovan Weaver. And Donovan, if it's okay with you, I would love to start off today's episode with a little bit of a story. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And uh, heart and soul of the Plainsman, uh, I don't think I've written in like a month and a half over there, so let's not, I hope nobody's listening because they'd be like, well, that's just a plain lie. But uh, yeah, tell me, just spin me a tale real quick. Yeah, yeah. So it's a story, it could be a nightmare, uh, depending on how you're looking at it, but with a couple of the Auburn coaching rumors going around, you know, I figured we would dive into one of them a little bit. So it was a cool, brisk Tuesday morning when the Auburn N20 AU plane touched down just outside of Memphis, Tennessee to meet with, well, what we could maybe guess is Mr. Jimmy Sexton, who happens to represent Mr. Lane Kiffin. Mm. He, he does happen to represent uh, a couple others, but that's neither here nor there. Shout out Bobby Fairways. Um, but while simultaneously, you know, it's been appeared by a couple of the Ole Miss Twitter pages that there has been a couple U-Hauls coming and going from Mr. Kiffin's house in Oxford, Mississippi. And the end. You just got to leave it on a cliffhanger. But one can hope, right? One one can hope. I better say, it, it is kind of interesting. I, th- I think we're going to talk about this later in the show more about because we're, we're probably going to be talking about the Auburn coaching search at the end of every show until – one Till gets, Lane comes. I'm about to say, oh, wait, what? <laughs> oh, what? But, yeah, no, it is uh, It is looking very promising that he could be the next head coach of the Tigers. But, again, we'll we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, but, Christian, you want to go ahead and break down what we got uh, for the folks listening today? Yeah, of course. We're going to start us off once again, or as usual, with the Week 11 recap. That will be followed by one of our individual segments, He is the Man, Heisman, with the in the middle of it. Then we'll go to a little Today in College Football History. Auburn fans, I think you might want to tune in and listen to that. Uh, we're gonna, then we're going to follow it with a little bit of tailgate trivia. I know that I've asked Donovan a couple questions on here, and he's been a little embarrassed walking out of this set, so he's going to try and... He's going to try and hit me back a little bit. He's got a trivia question for me. We're going to follow it with a Week 12 preview, a little bit of a down week in college football, but we still got a couple good ranked games in there. And then, as Donovan said, we'll finish it up with with Auburn, with the with what happened this past week against the established and wonderful Jimbo Fisher. And uh, look a little bit of a head towards Western, Western Kentucky and what to expect for the rest of the season and the offseason, as Donovan mentioned, with the head coaching rumors. But you want to go ahead and get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Now, do you want that trivia question now, or do you want to wait till a little later in the show? We'll, we'll wait a little bit. Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll, let, you we'll, let, it, we'll let it bubble a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we'll let it marinate. But let's get into the Week 11 recap. Number one, we got LSU outlasting Arkansas 13-10. to Really ugly game. Yeah. Only 533 total yards combined. No touchdowns to the second half. 
Uh, Jaden Daniels kind of ends his hot streak. He was playing great for about five weeks there where he, he was doing no wrong. Only 86 yards passing and an interception, no touchdowns. But I think we've kind of realized now that if Arkansas doesn't have K.J. Jefferson, their offense is nothing. But what did you see in that game? Yeah, exactly. I have it on here that it's hard to imagine if K.J. Jefferson wasn't or if he was not injured, that Arkansas would have dominated this game from start to finish. But then again, it's college football. You can't take it. You got to take it for what it is. You can't say what or if. But, yeah, again, it was a very, very ugly game. Uh, I mean, I guess you got to give credit to the LSU defense. We'll talk about an individual player here in just a few minutes. But two turnovers and two fourth down stops, one of them being a goal line stand in the first quarter. So, you know, LSU, as Brian Kelly said, not every win is going to be, you know, a pretty win that you got to find a way to grind it out and get the job done. And that's what that LSU defense did. With that said, though, I mean, it's a coin flip team for LSU. We've talked about it for, for weeks on end. What they done, what they did in the second half against Auburn, all of a sudden, you know, finding a way to beat Bama and then looking like this at Arkansas. It's hard for me to see how the SEC championship is going to be close. Again, that could change, and again, like I said, it's it's college football. You got to take it for what it is. You can't say if then, but with how how amped up LSU gets for the big games and how lackluster they look against some of the mediocre opponents, it's hard to continue to get amped up and amped up for the big games. And, you know, they got Georgia Lumen in a couple weeks. You know, it's kind of weird because usually whenever we know who the SEC um, West champion is going to be, it's it's usually Alabama if it's a couple games out. If it's not Alabama, it comes down to that, like, last game, whether it's either Auburn or Alabama or LSU. But, like, no, the SEC championship, that's, that's locked up for December 3rd. Yeah. It's going to be Georgia versus LSU. And it is really interesting to see that a team that – a loss to Florida State, really should have got blown out that game, losing in a weird way. And then they came down here to the Plains, and honestly, Auburn whooped them up and down the field, should have won that game. It's just shocking to see them at number six in the playoff committee. And then if they can somehow uh, take care of UAB, which they probably will, and they got A&M coming in, which I don't think anybody thinks they're a threat. <laughs> Could I, I mean, we'll talk about that more when it happens. That's a couple weeks down the road, but I just don't see any chance that LSU has beaten Georgia. I think – I think Georgia's kind of proven that they're probably the best team in the nation right now. With Tennessee, I think a, a, a close second, but I mean, you know, we'll see. We'll see how the college football playoffs shakes out. It's going to be interesting. But then uh, next up, we this was a really good game. I hope everybody watched this one. Alabama scraped by Ole Miss, thirty to twenty-four. Um, way more of a defensive game than I think either of us predicted. We thought this was going to be very high scoring, and we thought if Ole Miss was going to win this game, they'd have to score what forty-five plus. Yeah, but they could have won with thirty-one. Uh, Ole Miss uh, outrush and passed Bama. Uh, so this basically what happened was a tied game going to the fourth quarter. Bama goes up by six with two field goals, and Ole Miss is driving down the field, chance to win it, gets in the red zone, takes a sack on third and ten, then fourth and sixteen. Pass falls incomplete. They come up short. What kind of happened in that game that like led Ole Miss just to be competitive? And really, they could have won the game. Just- they could have, but what hurt them big was the fumble before the, the fumble before halftime. Uh, Ole Miss led 17-7 to and had the ball, like I was mentioning, but Zach Evans fumbled, led to an Alabama touchdown right before the half to make it 17-14, and that's a huge swing right there. Even if, even if Ole Miss doesn't score and takes it into the half, you're up by 10 at home. You like your chances. All of a sudden, it's a three-point game, and then like you mentioned, uh, Bama being able to come back, we talked about it last week, how we thought that Bryce Young would have time to be able to sit in the pocket and throw the ball. And, I mean, his three-touchdown his three performance 
showed that as Ole Miss only got three quarterback hurries on the afternoon. So, you know, you look at it, and it's, it wasn't the 500-yard outing that Bryce Young seems to put up once every two or three weeks. But, again, it was enough to get it done. And I also said it last week, Auburn fans you should be pretty happy with an Alabama win. I feel like that's a little bit ironic to say. But if you are in the same boat as I am hoping for Mr. Lane Kiffin, then you should be happy with – an Ole Miss loss because if Ole Miss had won that game, then the then the West wouldn't have been determined yet, and Ole Miss would still be competing for the West and would would arguably have a shot at that number four spot if they would would have beat Georgia uh, in the SEC championship. Yeah, I think this is kind of a weird year where honestly, I think LSU is probably the third best team in the West. Yeah. Where I think Bama is probably the first, and then Ole Miss. It's honestly probably the second best. But then again, uh, LSU did take care of business against them. Pretty easy fashion. Ole Miss just kind of seems like – it seems like, like this is the reason I've always been a little a little harsh on Lane Kiffin. Sometimes he'll just blow big games and, like, they won't even be competitive. Yeah. As you saw with that LSU game, like, it just wasn't competitive. Uh, LSU kind of beat Ole Miss handingly. But then you, you get this game this last weekend where, I mean, they could have easily won. Again, they're, what, 14 yards from winning the game? Yeah. So, I don't know. It is interesting. But it was a really good game. But the next one we got coming up, I know this probably breaks your heart a little bit, uh, Christian, because you're really high. And it also probably takes out the chance of a Pac-12 team getting into the playoff. Oregon falls to Washington 37-34. to The teams combined for 1,115 yards of total offense. Oregon did it on the ground with 313. Washington did it in the air for 408. Uh, basically what happened in the game, Oregon was kind of mounting a game-winning drive, had a fourth and one on Washington's like 41, didn't get it. Washington goes back down the field and kicks a 43-yard field goal to win it. Uh, Peyton Henry, shout-out to him, the Washington kicker. He got the dub for them. But what did you see in this game? How did the Ducks fail in this one? Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is Michael Penix Jr. Uh, it's a name that you might not have heard of, and if you have, you don't really know where from. Well, I'm going to give you a little insider. He was the Indiana quarterback during the COVID year that beat Penn State, number eight Penn State, 36-35 to 35 when he had that goal line dive towards the pylon when the ball hit the pylon and out of bounds at the same time. A very key play of that from that year in 2020. Uh, so that's where that name comes from. But, yeah, like you said, going, going 26 for 35, 408 and two touchdowns. It just shows that we've we've been questioning the Oregon secondary. We know that they they have the ability to stop the run, and they did, but the inability to to stop the air and to stop the gash plays. It's not just it's not like Phoenix was driving down, throwing little eight yard slants or six yard dig routes. I mean, it was he had two touchdowns north of sixty yards. So you're looking at plays like that. Those are those are obviously key plays in the game. But then I mean, like you mentioned, the key the biggest play of the game was that fourth and one stop. I don't know if I like that call because where was it? A minute le- minute and a half left. You're at your own 34-yard line. A fourth and one. I'd punt the ball, take it to overtime. You're at home. And again, those touchdowns that hurt you in the second half were for more than 60 yards. If you're playing in overtime, obviously you get the ball the other team gets the ball at the 25-yard line. You're playing with the end zone out of bounds line. I mean, you can condense the defense so much more rather than giving up those chunk plays at home with Bo Nix. I mean, I just like your chances then, but Dan Lanning uh, was 18 to 24 or 18 to 23, I guess, prior 
to that fourth down conversion. They were 18 to 23 on the season, so it's hard to say that you don't like your chances. But with that said, I mean, you're you got a college football playoff berth if you went out and all of a sudden, yeah, you lost it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the age old question of hindsight, and I feel like we bring this up time and time yeah. again. But honestly, if I'm an Oregon fan, fourth and one, and you do punt it there, I feel like the fan base would have been mad at that. I feel like, especially on those like fourth and ones, third and ones, you're like. If you can't get a yard, you deserve to win kind of thing. Like, just go get a yard. That's all we're asking you to do. Um, and, obviously, Oregon didn't get that yard. They got stuffed on that play, too. I mean, yeah. credit to Washington. It's really – it's. I mean, when it's fourth and one and you got your big boys pushing forward, really, that's the, the defense is on its heels. That, it's, it's, it's for them to stop it. They've got the disadvantage. And Washington came up big and huge upset. In my opinion, it was a huge upset. I really thought Oregon was going to be going to the playoff. I thought Bo Nix was going to lead them there, but – Again, they came up just short, but you want to, one more thing to say about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, USC has been one of those teams that's very good, but they get, they're get underlooked, I feel like, as weird as that is to say with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. You heard about all the offseason stuff. But, I mean, they're the number six team in the country right now or number seven team in the country. And, you know, we've talked about Oregon being a one-loss Pac-12 champion well, if USC can win the Pac-12 as a one-loss team, you can't tell me that the playoff wouldn't love to see Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley in that number four spot. Yeah, I don't really know why they're number seven. I feel like they should be ranked ahead of LSU because LSU's at six and they've got two losses, obviously. And LSU's looked bad in some games, yeah. so I don't really get the argument there. Again, the college football playoff, we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on because they came out with the rankings. What Was that yesterday or Monday? Yeah, yesterday. It was yesterday, yeah. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But before we go to break, we'll real quick, we'll just run down a critical game for TCU as they did – they held off Texas seventy to ten, and again another another shocking defensive game. I thought I thought this was going to be kind of high scoring. Only three points were scored in the first half. TCU <laughs> got those three points, but they did hold on to win. I guess Max Dugan technically we're, we're high on him. He did enough. He didn't turn the ball over, but only one hundred and twenty four yards passing. But Quinn Ewers seventeen of thirty nine, under fifty percent passing with the interception, no touchdown. Just. Another another kind of ugly game that I expected to be a lot more high scoring. Yeah, it was ugly. It was a very very ugly college game day selection, <laughs> just based on on raw gameplay. Only 482 total yards scored in the game last week. I mean, we were probably talking about both offenses putting up numbers like that rather than both offenses combined. And yeah, again, Max Duggan, like you mentioned, who I think deserves to be on the the Heisman bulletin board for for everybody with his ability to to take care of the ball. He did have the fumble that led to the Texas touchdown uh late in the game. But I don't know, I'm kind of proud of the, I'm kind of proud of this pick. I talked about it. I said one player is going to determine this game and that player was Quentin Johnston. He was questionable going into Saturday and he ended up playing. And I said if he would play, I like TCU by a touchdown. And Quentin Johnston, he only had three receptions for 66 yards, but who would have guessed it had a 31-yard receiving touchdown that ultimately ended they ultimately won the game for TCU. So, uh, little little toot my horn thing as TCU ended up. They did end up winning by a touchdown. And again, TCU remains at that four spot with Baylor and Iowa State left. They could be on upset alert this week with Baylor. Uh, and although they might not be the popular pick, if they win the Big 12, you can't tell me that they're not in. No, they're definitely in. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. Real quick, shout-out to all the defenses this past week. Yeah. I mean, bar, barring that Oregon-Washington game, which was dear lot, there was just a ton of yards scored. Really a defensive week. Uh, a little bit of that was kind of bad offensive play. But, hey, 
you got to give some credit to the defense. I feel Definitely. like we always just say bad offense, but yeah. you know it's 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 partly good defense too that holds those good offenses to those shorter yards. But we will be back with the who's hot, and who's not, and he is the man segment. Uh, don't go where you're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle ninety one point one. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Got tripped up there. Uh, real quick, we're going to introduce the trivia question, and then we're going to get into the He is the Man segment, and then Who's Hot, Who's Not. So, Christian, this is the question. Since 1990, how many national championships does the SEC have? And if you can get that number, I want you to name all everybody who's won one and how many they've won. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So, it's – it's, I think it's one of those questions where, like, oh, that's easy. I should get that. Yeah. But when you start getting to those 90s teams, you're like, did they win it that year or did this win it? It's, it's tougher than you think. Again, I was one off okay. when I did it. Yeah, so. I, mean, I feel good on games since I was born. But, but yeah, the, the those 10 years before, yeah, it makes people sound old. But, yeah, I mean, we're 2000s. Yeah, cause, yeah. I was I was gonna do I was gonna just do since since 2000, but then I was like, oh, he'll probably get all those because I, I think I got all of them because the one I missed was. Which one? Which, yeah, it, not, <laughs> it was nineteen ninety two. It was, it was that I, I just it slipped my mind on who won it that year. Okay. But um, that's the only hint I'll give you. But right. besides that, yeah. So we'll see how you can do. But we're gonna go into he is the man, uh, Christian. Who is a uh, who's your Heisman this week? Yeah. So we love finding guys that aren't quarterbacks to give the weekly award to. I feel like you know quarterbacks get all the love when they throw up high numbers and high touchdowns, but. For my, for my he is the man this week, I have LSU freshman Harold Perkins Jr., the linebacker for the Tigers. Stat line was as follows. Eight tackles, four sacks, a pass deflection, and two forced fumbles, including the strip sack to win the game for Arkansas. Again, we'll, we'll credit his positives now because the following segment I do have a not-so-great moment of his. But... You know, we found a couple couple defensive stat lines uh, that are very, very solid throughout the year, and this is another one that goes on that list, and ultimately a player that you could say won the game for the Tigers and and kept their, their slim playoff chances, chances alive. So, yeah, I'm going with the freshman linebacker, Harold Perkins, Jr. Okay, okay, I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I like it when we do the defensive uh Defensive players too. I, I think I've only done one, but you've done several this year. We gave it to the defense, but I'm I'm going to stray away from the quarterbacks too. Even though I probably could give it to the quarterback that did this, I'm going to give it to the Washington receiving core specifically: Jalen McMillan, uh, Jalen Polk, and Taj Davis. Uh, they were part of that 408 yard performance. Uh, McMillan had 122 yards for eight catches. Polk just had three receptions for 95 yards. That's 31 yards per reception and a touchdown. And then Taj Davis, he only had one uh, reception, but it was a 62-yarder of the house. So just showing a little love to that receiving core. But, again, uh, and then also Michael Penix, Jr., he was the quarterback, obviously. He had a great day, uh, 26 of 35. I feel like I would take that stat line any day of the week <laughs> yeah, if I could yeah. just – that's a pretty good uh, completion uh, percentage. But now we're going to get into uh, Christian's uh, baby of a segment <laughs> and uh, a fan favorite, uh, uh, who's hot and who's not. We're going to start off with the hots this week. Who do you got, Christian? We actually, so it's actually a very, very special segment this week. You know, usually it's hard to find it's, – it's, fi- it's hard to find the hots, so we usually focus on the knots, but – there's only one knot this week, and there is a, a, a solid list of hots. And I'm going to start off with uh, James Franklin. I, I've always been I've, – I've been a big I'm – a, I'm a big James Franklin guy. I like the way he handles things. I like the culture that he's brought down there. 
ever since that that good to great to elite speech that he gave after the Ohio State game a couple years ago, uh, it's you know it's easy to get behind what he's doing there, and that carries over to this past week's game. Uh, he's been a head coach for 12 years, and he got his first unsportsmanlike penalty as a head coach. And during the commercial break, uh, I mean, it it shows after the commercial break, but cameras caught him doing 15 push-ups on the sideline. And after the game, he was asked why, and his response was, I did 15 push-ups because everybody is held accountable here. And, you know, he he went went after that, followed up by saying that the referees threw the penalty when he was actually yelling at his players rather than the officials. Um, But again, being held accountable, whether it's a player or a head coach, it's cool to see a coach do something like that when, you know, he admits his faults. Yeah, yeah, no, it is cool. I, I, I like when coaches like I, I like that fire. I, yeah, I, I've given a, I've said this for years, and people just always crap on me, but I want him back here as defense coordinators. I love, I love a must champ because that. I, I love when he would just go crazy and yeah. scream at the officials or do something like that, do something crazy because I like seeing emotion out of my coaches. One of the biggest things I had against Gus is. Just felt like he never got on the refs hard enough. I, right. I want you to get all over the refs. I want you to just, I don't even care if you get a personal foul. Don't do it in like critical time. But yeah. early in the game, yeah, like show him who's boss. But next up, uh, you know Vanderbilt played this weekend. Did they're, they? Yeah, they're playing an SEC team, so they're probably gonna lose, right? I mean, what, they, they probably <laughs> they, they haven't won an SEC game in what feels like thirty five years, but not so fast. Uh, so they played Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats. Obviously, Will Levis is on a lot of people's boards uh, in top five, and some people have him as their number one quarterback. That's debatable. That's a story I, for another time. I'm about to say, <laughs> I, I've been high, I was high on him before the season. It hasn't really quite panned out, but they defeated the Kentucky Wildcats 24-21 to this weekend. Mike Wright went for 12-23 uh, for Vanny with 310 total yards, two touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown to Will Shepard. And get this stat. This is actually insane. First SEC win for the Commodores in 27 SEC games. Wow. That's 1,120 days for Vanderbilt. And you know what? As much as I am high on Kentucky, because I feel like the only teams I go for out of the SEC besides Auburn are Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Yeah. So it breaks my heart a little bit to see Will Levis and the, the Wildcats go down. But, no, that's, that's, that's awesome for Vanderbilt, especially the, the height they had around – uh, the program coming into the season with their head coach, you know, trying to talk them up. Yeah, but. it definitely is. And if we're going to go back on on crazy days, yeah, in the same day that Vandy wins an SEC game for the first time in three years, UConn beats Liberty and brings their record to 6-5 and five as UConn is bowl eligible for the first time since 2015. Their students storm the field. And what a year for college football. I mean, Vandy wins an SEC game. UConn's bowl eligible. Kansas is already bowl eligible. And it's week 11 and Alabama's out of the college football playoff talk. What a year. <laughs> no, I better say it's been crazy, especially when you see what's going around the country. I, has it really been since 2015 since Connecticut's been in a bowl game? <sighs> we actually talked about UConn a little bit. Uh, like it was like week one or two. Remember, they were getting blown out to Michigan State, and the dude that was painted up stayed the entire fourth hey, quarter. That, yeah. So was, I wonder yeah. what he's doing now. We should we need to get him on here. I about to say, we need to get him on and just see what he's thinking. <laughs> no, I was about to say that can't be right. But I feel like the reason you see UConn is because they're women's basketball. Yeah. Because they're insane. But I guess I guess UConn hasn't been good in football in a while. But I, I good for them though. I mean, good good for the the Huskies. But uh, I don't know. Did y'all see this? Uh, 
uh, Christian's got this as his catch of the year. So uh, Brendan Lindsay of Notre Dame uh, pulled off a catch uh, against Navy, which was a close. Uh, real quick, that was a closer game than I think anybody expected. Notre Dame's oh, another definitely. weird team. Notre, it feels like Notre Dame and LSU just they'll like beat some great teams, but then they'll just like either pull, put up a dud and barely win against some bad teams, or just outright lose. So Notre Dame's one of those weird coaches, and it's kind of funny because they correlate because you know obviously. Uh, they lost the head coach to LSU, but I don't know, weird. But uh, it was a 37-yard touchdown grab uh, against Navy. And what, you got that as your catch of the year? I do, yeah. I mean, it's hard It's hard saying it's not. Uh, this similar play happened a couple of years ago. I think it was Stanford and UCLA where the Stanford receiver caught it pinned up against the defender's back. But it happened again today. A pretty poorly thrown ball on one-on-one coverage. But corners, turn your head around. And it might be an easy interception, but for some reason, uh, for some reason they don't, they never do it. And so because of that, Brendan Lindsay catches the ball pinned up against the Navy corner's back for a touchdown. And I mean, it's it's hard enough as it is, but you know the concentration with a hand in your face. But it's gotta be, it's gotta be pretty demoralizing as as that cornerback to all of a sudden like feel a dude hugging you. And you're like, what the heck? And yeah, next thing you know. The ball's in his hands. You got a little touchdown on the back. <laughs> yeah. But we'll keep going here. Uh, a punter backflip. Two things that you don't really think should should go together in a sentence. But USC goes up 32-10 to 10 on Colorado late in the third quarter. USC's placeholder, who's also USC's punter, he fakes the PAT and runs in the two-point conversion. That's pretty solid, right? Punter gets into the end zone. Well, he followed it off with a ball spin and a very solid landed backflip that drew more flags than the play was worth. So, uh, but who cares, right? I'm about to say. Who cares? He, he, he won't find the end zone again, so go ahead and give it to him. I'll take three flags for two points any day of the week. I'm about to say, it's kind of like the – it's like whenever somebody celebrates a touchdown, but it was like a hard-earned touchdown. And it depends on the situation, but like when they dunk it over the goalpost. I always remember Ben Tate doing it in the Outback Bowl versus yeah. Northwestern oh, yeah. in 2009. Um, but it was like the end of the game. It didn't really matter because we were going to overtime anyways, but I always, always remember that. So let him celebrate it a little bit if it doesn't matter. But our last hot um, – have been featured on the show a lot. Uh, UCLA Bruins. We have pretty much included them what three or four times. They're yeah. just not not just their student section. Their their fan, their whole fan base has one of the most prestigious historic stadiums. Obviously, it's the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and they just have not been showing up to games. And UCLA is what eight and two, yeah. number, number sixteen team in the country. Haven't been doing anything, but. That changed a little bit this week. What 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 happened uh, in Old Pasadena? Yeah, so this upcoming week, the uh, eight and two, number sixteen Bruins take on the USC Trojans from quite literally right down the road, and it's being said that this game is a sellout with sixteen thousand seven hundred UCLA student tickets being sold, which is the biggest student section in the history of UCLA football. And so, I mean, you know, that number is, I guess, I don't want to say laughable when you're looking at like SEC games and stuff like that but credit credit to Chip Kelly credit to to USC or UCLA finally being being recognized the only thing that I'm that I'm interested to see is how many of those tickets on the sellout are from USC fans like what if it shows out that it's just the UCLA student section is just filled with with Trojan fans. Just, just red and gold <laughs> yeah. up and down I, I I'm a little worried about that too because we actually we are previewing that game it's one of the very few games we're going to preview this week because this is kind of the weird week before rivalry week where nobody plays anybody. Yeah. But uh, we will be previewing that game. Um, but yeah, it'd be 
I would really hate for it to be a knot next week because it's just a bunch of Trojans yes. up there. But we're going to take a quick break. We've only got one knot. We're going to go over that. Christian will tell us about that. And then we'll get into a little Week 12 preview. And then Christian's got to give us the answer on the trivia. But we'll see how good he does on that. Uh, you're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. I can't get that intro down. I feel like I'm just trying to rush through <laughs> it. I'm just, like, tripping up on it. But um, we've got only one knot this week, which is kind of historic for our show because we've been known to be pretty cynical, and sometimes we'll just do eight knots and no hots or, you know, two hots and, like, seven knots. But, no, today we've only got one knot. It was a nice, calm week of college football. But what was the uh, the one not, Christian? So once again, my he is the man was the freshman LSU linebacker, Harold Perkins Jr. And we found out after the game that he was sick and he was throwing up prior to this past Saturday's game against Arkansas. Well, Brian Kelly made a joke saying, well, MJ had his best game when he had the flu too, you know, going back to Michael Jordan's flu game. Um, and not a very bright moment, but Perkins' response was, who's MJ? Uh, <laughs> wow! Wow! I don't know if that's a be- I don't know if that's the best look. You know, that's yeah. Who who is the greatest basketball player of all time? In my opinion, I know that's that's a hot topic to debate. One, we'll just say one of, if not, definitely top two. If yeah. you've got the other guy up there, but wow, that's he actually said that. Yeah, he said his response was simply, "Who's MJ?" What do the reporters say? I don't really. I mean, what do you? How do you? I just, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, because like, I mean, even if you said Michael Jackson, I'm gonna say at least. Like I mean, somebody. there's there's two two of the most famous people in modern history. Both have the nickname MJ, and especially in sports, that's. I I was about to say I didn't know that knot. I, I I was blind on the knots, and then that you're actually you got me at a loss for words. That's pretty bad. Yeah, it wasn't the best look, but I mean, I guess we'll give him a pass with. The stat line, but I'm sure he knows who MJ is now. At, yeah. least, I'm, at least I'm hoping so, and I I hope it's not a a youth thing because this guy's a freshman, and we're we're seniors or essentially seniors. So this dude was born in 2002, 2003. That makes me feel kind of old thinking that there's kids even born <laughs> yeah, but, then yeah, or whatever yeah, after us. Yeah, but I feel like there's no way that. That it's a, it's, it's a youth thing. At least I hope it's not a youth thing because I don't know how you grow up and not hear the name Michael Jordan. He's, I mean, arguably the most popular sports uh, figure of all time. I, f- I feel like that's a that's a fair argument. You know, you've got Babe Ruth for baseball. Then you think – I mean, I think Michael Jordan when I think about you know, yeah. Michael Jordan and then maybe Steph Curry nowadays. But, like, yeah, I think I think MJ when I think basketball. So – some someone should tell him to go watch the Last Dance on Netflix. Really yeah. good documentary, by the way. Great documentary, but uh, no, you should know who MJ. Is. That's just terrible. But that is going to lead us into our Week Twelve preview. We've only got three games because there's only two ranked games, but they're pretty big, pr- pretty high stakes uh, on the line. Number uh, first one we're going to go over is the game we talked about in our hot section. Number seven USC is a one and a half point favorite at number sixteen UCLA. Obviously, this has huge college football playoff implications on the line. Because if UCLA wins this game, then the Pac-12 is out. Like, they're officially out. They're not going to get a spot in the college football playoff. So, a lot on the line this week. What do you think is going to happen in that one? The answer is Caleb Williams. Uh, he's just too good. I mean, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, don't get me wrong, very solid quarterback. But after he played last week in the loss, the answer is just Caleb Williams. His ability to not only take over an offense, but the ability to do it efficiently. 37 total touchdowns, only two turnovers. 
I think he's going to get him the win. And then again, I'm I'm nervously interested to see what the sold out capacity is going to look like. Will it be will it be some baby blue or will it be a lot of Trojan red and gold? Uh, but regardless, I have I don't know why it's only a point and a half. I feel like Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley have just proven to be too good. And especially if it ends up being a home game for, for USC, I got them winning by two touchdowns. And I'm sorry. Yeah, I got them winning by two touchdowns, 38 to 24. Yeah, I'm about to say, I, I think US, I think USC is going to probably put this one away early. It is interesting, though, because if UCLA does win this game, it does it does mean the Pac-12 is essentially out of the college football playoff. Like, they are, they are done. And that Pac-12 race right now is really, really close just for, let's say, not – not cultural playoff implications, but I mean, you got USC, Oregon, Utah, and UCLA. They're all just kind of like right there in the mix, and any one of them could go to the title game to face one of the others. So, uh, pretty big Pac-12 uh, title game implications. And that brings us to our next game: is number ten Utah at number twelve Oregon. Oregon is a three-point favorite at home. Uh, again, another big Pac-12 game title uh, title implications on the line. Uh, you think Bo Nix can uh, kind of bounce back after that devastating loss against Washington? I do. You know, I think this is a game that we honestly thought would have a lot more implications, not only on the Pac-12 title, but on the college football playoff than it does now. I feel like early in the year, or at least a couple weeks ago, we were looking at it, okay, Oregon is going to beat UCLA. They're going to, you know, they're going to handle um, Oregon State. But that that Utah game is what, you know, we were both kind of circling at the end of the year saying they're going to run the pack, but – if they can win this one, that's that's the game that we had circled and ended up it's still a very, very big game for possibly, you know, New Year's six, but if you're looking at it from a college football playoff perspective, it's kinda out of the picture. Oregon's defense is good enough to stop the run. We saw that. And with Utah their their run game with Tavion Thomas, it's gonna force Cameron Rising to take over the game. And not saying he can't do that, but we saw what he kinda how he, we saw how he kinda struggled on the road in the swamp. Granted that was very, very early on in the season. But I think the Ducks and the offense at home and at night will get the job done. I like Oregon by a touchdown. I got them 38-31. Okay, well, this will be our first uh, disagreement. I've actually – I like Utah in this game because I like Cam Rising again. Okay. I, I, I'm very hard-headed, so whenever I like somebody at the beginning of the year, I tend to ride them until – Like Anthony Richardson, right? Did I ever say <laughs> – no, I don't, I don't think I ever endorsed him. I think that's uh, – a. No, I definitely didn't endorse him or KJ Jefferson or Will <laughs> Levis. I didn't. I definitely didn't say they were they were going to be difference makers this year. Uh, but no, I do like Cam Rising. I like this Utah offense a lot. They got a really solid run game. And again, I'm a little shocked that Oregon is not favored by more in this game. I figure they would be because I think Oregon's probably the better team. But I don't know. I feel like Oregon's going to be reeling a w- little bit. Uh, I like Utah on this one again. I like it really close. I got 35-33. We'll just throw out a weird score. Um, cause I mean, at this point you're just predicting, but I think, I think Utah <laughs> squeaks by, um, and Oregon doesn't quite cover the spread. Um, but the, the big game this week, and this one does have college football implications written all over it. And the point spread is razor thin is number four TCU is at Baylor. Baylor's not ranked. So you're probably thinking, okay, was this point spread of like 12? It might be like a seven point game. Yeah. It's a two and a half for TCU. So obviously the odds makers think this is going to be a nail biter. Uh, do you see it like that too? I don't necessarily for the full game. I think through maybe two and a half, even three quarters it could be because, uh, yes, they're on upset alert. But and I think the reason why is because it's an 11 a, it's 11 a.m. game in Waco or I guess a noon game or whatever we want to look at it. But I think last week's game created 
a little bit of urgency for TCU's offense. Uh, and with the playoff picture in the near future, Max Duggan and the offense, they'll do what they need to do. And I, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring of a game. But similar to what I said with Caleb Williams, Duggan's ability to take care of the ball efficiently and how fast that TCU offense can move down the field. Uh, I think another great second half. I think TCU will pull away late. I like TCU. I got him 34-21. to 21. Yeah, okay, 34-21. I, I like that score too, actually. I, I, think, uh, I think it will be a little competitive for a half, but we got to remember that Baylor's coming off a beating against Kansas State last week. They lost that game 31-3. to so it's a little shocking to me. Odds makers got this this close, but then again, TCU has been shown to barely win games this year. But that's really all you got to do. Yeah. I, I I know it it matters how you win, but if you don't lose, then it really doesn't. If you, if you're in a big conference and you and you go undefeated, you're to me you're automatically in, right? Or at least you should be. Especially with the the unexpected strength that the Big Twelve actually has this year. I mean, obviously Oklahoma. West Virginia kind of fell off, even though we had higher expectations for them. But when you're looking at, I mean, a team like Kansas, who actually, you know, was in the top 25, was in, I think they were ranked 16th or 17th early on in the season. Teams like that that you don't expect to be a a key matchup when they actually turn out to be, and you beat teams like that, you know, that's when the that, that's when that strength of schedule does look a little bit more promising. Yeah, so I could, I could definitely see this game. I've got I've got TCU. Uh, uh, 38 to 24. So I think TCU does take care of business pretty easily. But honestly, I, I could see, I could easily see in the Horn Frog slip up to the Bears this game. I feel like it's one of those games. It's weird. I'm telling you, these Pac-12 games are weird. Where you, it's like the end of the season. Uh, Oklahoma State is always the one that comes to mind, like 2012 when they lost to like Iowa, or Iowa State. They were undefeated, and it's just weird. It seems like somebody always slips up. They're undefeated. They're like 10 and 0, and they lose. And then you're just like, oh come on, man. You were just so. And it's cool. a game that you're like, how? Yeah, you're just like so close <laughs> to get to getting to the top, and then you just fell just short. But real quick, before we go to break and talk about Auburn after it, do you have the question to the trivia? How many national championships has the SEC won since 1990, and who are the teams? All right, hold on. I got to count real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. I feel like I might be missing one or two. Okay. But I have 14. 16. Oh. You are. You're missing one or two. Dang it. Okay, so I, I have it with 2021 Georgia, 2020 Bama, 2019 LSU with Joe Burrow, 2017, 2015, 2012, and 2011 all Bama, 2010 Auburn, 20, or 2009 Bama, 2008 Florida with Tebow, 2007, 2006 Florida with Tebow. I had 2003 LSU. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. And then I don't know the year, but I feel like Manning had to win one in the late 90s. Uh, 98, Tennessee won it. Okay, yeah. and that's those are those are the 14 that I have. Okay, cool. Well, I, I, again, I, I had all those. Alabama. Okay, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying like we both we, we both we both slipped up yeah. uh, in the 90s. Like I think we both had the 2000s fine. Bama won in 92. Really. It shocked me because you remember in 93, Auburn went undefeated. Florida State won it that year, but we were on probation. Yeah. But, yeah, Bama won it in 92. And I I, I went and fact-checked it because I was like, is that right? But yeah, apparently Alabama won a national championship in 1992. How did I not know about that? Yeah, I don't I don't know. And speaking of it, could could and should be uh, maybe one number higher in 2004. Uh, the Auburn Tigers did go undefeated but somehow got jumped over in the BCS National Championship. But once again, that's a story for another time. By Reggie Bush and the Trojans. Then they got it taken away. Go claim it. Go claim <laughs> yeah. that national title. You went undefeated. 
Come on, just go claim it. But yeah, no. So, so it was Bama, Florida, LSU, Tennessee, Auburn, and then Georgia got it uh, last year. But yeah, again, that 1992, I just, I, I, it slipped my mind too. But you did really good. That's, a, that's, a, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my answer. It's respectable. Yeah, no, very respectable. A lot better than what I've done in trivia. <laughs> the two times I've done trivia, it's just been really horrific. But we are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and pretty t- much talk all things Auburn. We're going to go over the A and M game. Western Kentucky's ahead, and then a little bit on the coaching situation. Don't go away. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Here we go. I won't mess up the intro. Welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. That's really funny. That's that's really funny, Christian. You're a funny guy. You should be a comedian. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'll be here all week, so. Uh, No, we're going to – we're actually – so we're going to ease into the Auburn segment, but we're going to start us off with a little bit of college football history again. Uh, Auburn fans, you kind of want to listen to it. You know, if there's any if there's any Georgia fans listening, you might want to go ahead and turn it off for a minute or two or whatever. But uh, what a day it was nine years ago today as Aaron Murray and the number 25 Georgia Bulldogs traveled down to a little place called Jordan-Hare Stadium after jumping out to a 27-10 lead at halftime and a 37-13 lead in the fourth quarter, which we don't really need to talk about. Uh, Georgia scored 21 unanswered points to take the lead 38-37 to with a minute and 49 left in the fourth. Well, what happened next, Christian, you may ask? Well, that's a great question, and let me go ahead and inform you. Uh, Ricardo Lewis happened. <laughs> and so on fourth and 18, Nick Marshall threw up a, quote, a home run ball, as the famous Andy Bertram would call it. And after being tipped, Ricardo Lewis caught the prayer And Jordan Hare erupted as Ricardo Lewis scored from 73 yards out, famously being named the prayer at Jordan Hare. And uh, this was arguably the greatest play in Auburn football history. But, you know, there there wouldn't be another play to top that, right? Like, there's nothing two weeks later that would be better. Like, this is this is by far the best, right? I would say so. I yeah. mean, well, maybe, there's, maybe, there's no way that something could be better. Maybe some history will pop up, and we'll, we'll go back to that. No, interesting story about that real quick. I was actually at that game, and, of course, I was like 12, 13 years old. I was pretty young. My buddy left in, like in the third quarter because, we we, I mean, we were, we were getting killed. Like, it was not competitive. Like, Georgia was smacking us around, and he left, so he didn't get to see it. Wow. He didn't get to see the prayer. And if you actually go back and watch that, the fourth and 18 play, Sammy Coates is was wide, wide open. Wide. <laughs> no, my dad and I talk about that all the time, how, like, it was the most Nick Marshall thing ever just to throw the ball into double coverage when you had Sammy Coates open for a 45-yard pass. Easy. But, no, we talk about that all the time. It's funny that you bring it up because anytime I talk about it, everybody's like, really? But so the fact that you say, that you bring it up, that's I better say, if y'all, yeah, I mean, I'm sure every Auburn fan has probably noticed at this point, but I bring it up every time this game gets brought up. He's wide open. Yeah. And he's wide open at, like, maybe, like, the 43 or something like that. But, like, I mean, well past the first down, just easy pitch and catch, and you can probably – but, anyways, the, the one I remember for that is – um. Is just D Ford getting the sack on Aaron Murray. Yeah, uh, was, I think it was as time expired, he was running around Aaron Murray. Also, like Aaron's reaction when it happened, oh, slamming slam the yeah. helmet down. But like they did a ESPN did a side by side comparison. I think last year on both sidelines, it was kind of cool on how they they both reacted. Oh, both and the Georgia and just, fall. yeah, the coach, yeah, you just see it just fall out of sight. But uh, no, uh, again, one of one of the greatest days uh, in football history in my life at least as an Auburn fan I'm sure you can occur to that I just man wouldn't it be I'm glad it happened when I was young because like it's like more finally I would have loved for that to happen like now because oh, yeah. I was a student yeah could you imagine but the, the student section like what they must have been feeling but no it, that was obviously great but let's get into Auburn 
finally snapping a five-game losing streak. Cadillac Williams getting his first win as a as an Auburn head coach, defeating Texas A&M 13-10, officially eliminating them from bowl eligibility. Imagine having the number one recruiting class and then not going to a bowl, being what preseason ranked number, what were they ranked? Like four, four or five. Four or five. And Desmond Howard's, <laughs> Desmond Howard's playoff prediction, uh, Jimbo just – God, this this was another another ugly game, honestly. But you know what? I don't think anybody uh, cared. Me and Christian, as Auburn students, uh, this game was electric, and, oh, and it's yeah. it might be the most boring game I've ever watched with the greatest stadium atmosphere to back it up. I mean, for I mean, when you're th- when you're three and six, you don't. I mean, really, nobody should show up to your game, correct? But that stadium was packed out, sold out. It was freezing cold too. So shout out to all the Auburn fans and and Cadillac Williams for just breathing new life into this program that was dead in the water two weeks ago. Yeah, it really was. It's crazy seeing what, as weird as it sounds, a, a loss at Mississippi State could do to a to a program. Uh, actually, go to the Weagle website and you can read my article about it. Shameless um, plug. Yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> in the bottom of the article, I talked about how that loss at Mississippi State, go back to it this time next year and see the difference in the program. And, I mean, you can call that bias if you want to, but when you look at how Auburn came back in the second half against Mississippi State and then, again, a 3-6 and six team versus a 3-6 and six team, and there are 85-plus thousand inside a Jordan-Hare Stadium – and student sections completely sold out in a 45-degree game. It and, was, And the wind was howling, It was too. absolutely – it was an amazing game. Uh, oh. My girlfriend and my two best friends, they came down to watch it with us, and so they got to experience their first swag surf and everything like that, and that was just such a – it was such a cool moment to, to be able to experience because it's like, what do you have to lose? What does Cadillac have to lose – and the answer is obviously nothing, but it's crazy to see, like you said, how how a player like that can bring such new life and new breath into into a program that's dead. I tell you what, that the hype video that started with Cadillac's run uh, against Alabama, the seventy-five yard run, where you know the clear, the famous "Go Crazy Cadillac." Uh, here in the stadium, you couldn't even hear the jumbotron just because of how how loud the stadium got and just. The lights and everything. It was it was such a cool game to be at. No, I'm about to say it's. Uh, I mean, I know this is way different circumstances, but I'm going to compare them anyways. It's shocking how pumped up our fan base is yeah. right now at four and six, and then you you look uh, across the state <laughs> where you've only got two losses and you've got a pretty good bid for a New Year's Six bowl, and you just no hype right now, yeah. and they're all, all pouting and oh, we're not going to be in the college football playoff this year. Just a very in my opinion, just very different ideologies between uh, us and the that team I won't mention across the state. But, no, just an amazing atmosphere. Um, I was lucky enough to be on the field pregame because I, I work a job to where I'm able to do that. And just people were – I mean, it's just, it was insane. I didn't get to be in the stadium the whole game, but I got to be pregame. I got to hear all of it. And then the fourth quarter I got to be in, uh, in the crowd. And just, again, one of the greatest atmospheres and – that I've seen in my time as an all as definitely a student, probably the yeah. number probably the number one I've seen as a student. But just in general, it it was up there with like that Iron Bowl in 2013, where like we had the bid in the national championship. I mean, it was that levels of hype again for a three and six team. So uh, credit to the Auburn fan base, but again credit to Cadillac Williams. 
just just seems like just a genuine guy. I, I think that's the main thing. A genuine guy, great player, one of Auburn's all time best. And you can actually tell he loves Auburn and he cares about Auburn and he wants to win. And it's just it's hard not to root for a guy like that. Definitely, yeah. No, it's so it's so cool seeing seeing a guy like that. And it's cool, you know, I'm from I'm from Georgia and so I have a bunch of Georgia buddies, but after the Mississippi State game and then after this game right here, just getting texts from from guys saying like, who is this Cadillac guy? Like I would run through a wall for him. And like that's just so cool seeing how it's not just a, a small lens that sees it. It is it's honestly SEC, if not the college football landscape, because teams don't want to see Auburn being good. You, especially not Georgia, especially not Alabama. Like they they want to keep Auburn as the the comical the comical talk, the little brother talk and stuff like that. So when you see Cadillac doing what he's doing and again, like you mentioned, breathing new life into a a dead Auburn team and how he said he, he, post game he said, you know, Auburn's Auburn Auburn football ain't dead. Like we're we're coming. And it's so cool to see a fan base respond to that and to see the players respond to it and just see what he's doing like the I don't know if you saw the video of Tank when he broke off that like 40 yard run and Cadillac's racing him down the sideline and arguably might have beat him to the end zone if he Uh, hadn't gotten tackled but just like it's so cool as a head coach seeing because you know most head coaches you're supposed to keep a level head and not show emotion you see Cadillac jumping up and down in the sideline with his towel and stuff like that and then my buddy who was at the game was saying like this might have been the greatest environment that I've been in. And the fact that it's two teams that probably won't go to a bowl game. Yeah. Like, it's it's just crazy to see how that happens. And, I mean, we're talking about head coaching decisions. It's hard to see if Cadillac doesn't win out that uh, that he doesn't get that bid. Yeah, real quick. Uh, so, Auburn does have Western Kentucky this weekend. Only favored by five and a half against Western Kentucky. Uh, but that'll be interesting. And then if they can win that game, they'll go up to Tuscaloosa for bowl eligibility. We'll talk about that more next week, though, because unfortunately we are out of time. Uh, Thank you for listening in to Tailgate Talk, and we'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3, for your weekly dose of college football.